Episode 127, it's February 4th, 2023. It's Black History Month. It's also in a month we celebrate Valentine's Day, at least for those that can. Others, you know, they say, fuck it. Terminator Charles alongside Monoxide. Monoxide, how are you doing this fine evening? I'm somewhat okay. I guess I'm one of those people that can celebrate Valentine's Day, although... We don't really do much on Valentine's Day. We do more on our anniversary than some pointless holiday that some asshole Cupid decided to come up with to single out, <laughs> no pun intended, those who are single. I mean, Cupid is an asshole. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Yes, he is. Um, a lot has happened over the past week since we recorded our last episode. I think we did our last episode, was it 10 days ago? We usually film, we usually film our episodes on the weekends once usually saturday night since that's when we're both available the best but you know if things come up that weekend where we can't record we usually try to get it done early either that thursday or the tuesday night of that week yeah in this particular case last week was royal rumble weekend so obviously i wasn't going to miss that it's my favorite wwe wrestling pay-per-view of the year next to wrestlemania of course but I had to watch the Royal Rumble, so that was important. So you got to watch your pay-per-view, and you know, a lot has happened over this past week, so we're going to get right to it. Let's check it out. Check it out! As I, we heard about Ozzy Osbourne. Uh, fortunately, um, his health is... Uh, getting the best of him. I mean, Ozzy's an old, the Prince of Darkness. The man's old. He has recently, uh, he's called, he's retiring from touring. I was surprised he was still doing it. I mean, the last time I'd seen him, that I remember, I could have seen him since then, but the last time I ever saw him on TV, it was, uh, he was, it was him and Sharon Osbourne. They were guest hosts for Raw. And Ozzy Osbourne looked the epitome of the lights were on but nobody was home he's just standing there smiling and waving not like interacting with any like he's just so out of it even more so than usual when he's biting the heads off of bats and all that it just makes me wonder like how are guys like him and the rolling stones still doing it after all these fucking years it's crazy i mean and how long ago and that was over a decade ago wasn't it that ozzy and sharon hosted 2009, yeah, so about... God, that's almost 15 years! Oh my god. Jesus! I know they've, they've been on since, obviously. Well, I just yeah, they've been on yeah, countless. I mean, I know Sharon, I think she used to co-host The View, or one of those morning-type shows. Oh god, no, it was The Talk. The Talk, that's the one, yeah. Yeah, that, that was the show where they talked about a story where a woman chopped off the penis of her husband or whatever because he was going to leave him and then threw it in the garbage disposal and her and all the other women are cackling like this is the greatest thing ever and then uh what's that girl's name from roseanne who played darlene had to go out there and said well not for nothing but if we were talking about a story where a man cut off a woman's boobs and threw it in a garbage disposal. We wouldn't be sitting here laughing. Like, she's the one, like, bringing up reason. And then Sharon Osbourne's like, oh, that's different. <laughs> this is fluffy. Like, okay, yeah. The other beef I have with Sharon was um, her getting all wound up because one of the bands that she promotes, Cold Chamber, got kicked off a tour from the Insane Clown Posse because they weren't as ICP said, drawing anything, and then she started talking shit about them saying that their album, The Amazing Jekyll Brothers, wouldn't sell 50,000 copies and placed a bet 
that she, I forget how much she bet, but she put a figure up that they wouldn't sell 50,000 copies. And they ended up selling double that at the time. Told her, yo, we don't even want the money. Just donate it to a charity. Here's the charity that we want you to donate it to. This was back in 1999. Uh, 25 years later, almost 25 years later, money still hasn't been ponied up after she lost the bet on live television. Mm, I did not know that. That's, that's news to me. Yeah, you, you can find it on uh, YouTube, probably. It, it, actually, I shouldn't say it was live television. It was on a radio, live radio. But there is video footage of Sharon and them going back and forth trading insults. And I'll give her credit. She didn't back down or anything. She was going back and forth with these two guys. But you got to realize that Violent J and Shaggy too dope when it comes to, like, digs and, and insults and funny jabs. They, they are the masters at it. And... She placed a bet saying, you ain't going to sell 50,000 copies. And they sold double that. And they still haven't seen the money that she offered had she lost a bet. I think she also hosted, um, you remember those reality shows on VH1, like the late 2000s, uh, Flavor of Love, Rock of Love. Uh, yeah, I think she hosted one of those shows. They got like all like the girls that lost. What was it Rock of Love? And then I think they did like a charm school where they have to learn to be women. Some, some ridiculous, stupid shit. And... I think she was the host of that. I could be wrong. But mm. man, I can't believe I used to watch those shows. I mean, looking back at it, it's, they usually do a marathon of them around Valentine's Day. I know I see a few people tweet about it, like, man, like this show used to be crazy. This used to be one of the, like, the hot topics of that time. This was like right before uh, Jersey Shore. Yeah, I never watched them, but if I had to sit here and say, something tells me Ozzy was only touring at this point because he enjoyed doing it. Yeah, that's 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 what I think is, you know, he's been doing it his whole life. Same with the Rolling Stones. It's, it's, it's in their blood. And from the sound of it, they said that if Ozzy does tour, it's going to be very local. Yeah, I mean, around the Ozzy country, is, I, don't, I don't see him getting on. Like they may like not want him on a plane. Ozzy has nothing left to prove. Yeah, I would say Ozzy, you have nothing left to prove, man. You you're you're a legend. Yeah. And. Nothing's going to take away from that unless some sort of controversy comes out that like like with Ian Watkins from Lost Profits. But I highly doubt it because that was an extreme circumstance. Ozzy's pretty much an icon along with Mick Jagger and Keith Richards and stuff like that. They don't need to do it. It's got to be a want. They want to do it. They, they enjoy the, the, the thrill of being out. And to be fair, to be fair, if you're a fan of Ozzy, and they're still touring. Like, obviously, in this case, he just cut off his tour. But you would want them to keep touring just for the simple fact of if they could still perform, you still want to hear those great songs. Like, in the case of the Rolling Stones, you will, every every day we got to keep hearing the Applebee's commercial with Start Me Up from the Rolling Stones. I bet you want to go live and, and hear Mick Jagger go, you make a good man cry. Or Ozzy Osbourne going, uh, hi, hi, hi. Or whatever the fuck he sings. Yeah, I want to hear Iron Man. Has he lost his mind? Anyways, but hey, if if he has to do it for his health, I mean, by all means, he has nothing left to prove. If if he was doing this to prove something, there's nothing to prove. He's a legend. And I assume he's in the Hall of Fame, right? Ah, he better be. I would assume he is. I would He's think he would have two inductions. Oh, him and Black Sabbath? Yeah. Hell. 
I, I, I would think so. He, he's a, he's an icon, at least an American icon. Well, he's from the UK, so yeah, he's he's a, he's an icon, a rock icon. He, he's an, yeah, he's from the UK. I would think they I'm, would acknowledge him over there as well. They'd probably freaking give him like a, a crown. But there's a difference between like like all right. In U.S. culture, we acknowledge him, but we also acknowledge here in the U.S. the Beatles, who are U.K. icons. Yeah, but the Beatles, there's, certain, there's certain musicians, actors, characters that may not transition into certain countries for whatever reason, whether yeah. it be because it's against their beliefs or what have you. Um, I know he's already said that fans could get their uh, refunds, and I don't think I've seen a single fan complain. All they've said, you know, is, is, you know, we love you, Ozzy, and we wish you nothing but the best. Again, nothing left to prove. He could sit in his mansion and, and admire the work he's done for probably 60 years. Been doing music since the 60s, I believe. Oh, yeah, or at least the late 60s. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he's got to be. He's He has more than enough to enough money to last him several life, uh, lifetimes. Yeah. I, I love you, Ozzy. Rock on, baby. Yeah, at this rate, he's probably got enough albums he can make his own top ten, as KRS One would say. Yeah, yep. He doesn't need to write another song. He just spend the rest of his life and another lifetime just touring with the same music that you know he was is successful for. Yeah. Same the Rolling Stones. They don't need to write new music, even though they do. Even though, yeah, even though they do. Same with same with a lot of those bands from that era that have made it big, that have become legends. Bon Jovi, like uh, Billy Joel, who hasn't wrote an original song since '93, I believe. Thirty oh, years wow. later, and he still tours doing the same music. Because as he said on on a late night, I don't need to. Yeah, Bon Jovi, I think it was the '80s, but yeah, points still stands. Who the hell else is around at that time that's still touring today? Like maybe U2. You oh god, again they can retire. U2 again, enough money to last them a, a, a lifetime. Yeah. Well, they, they, could, they could stop right now. They could have stopped years ago and be like, you know what? We're done. I'm just going to stay home. Oh, another one. Elton John. Elton John, who I think is on his retirement tour now, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, and Michael Jackson was in the midst of his retirement tour before he passed. Yep. So, you know, be smart with your money and you can retire beautifully. You can literally do whatever you want. In case of Ozzy, the man made his career. Uh, he, again, we mentioned he's an icon. He could have stopped 20 years ago and he would still be an icon. You know, it's just something that these guys, they just love to do. They just love being being on stage. Yeah. So that's that. Um, unfortunately, we've had some deaths over the past week uh, in the Hollywood world and the wrestling world. In the wrestling world, uh, the genius Lenny Poffo passed away. Uh, the brother of Macho Mayor Randy Savage, the son of Angelo Poffo. Yeah. Uh, didn't get to see much of his work. Mostly, mo the work I've seen of him was in shoot interviews. Uh, there was a little bit of flat put against him because one of Randy Savage's requests was he did not want to go into the Hall of Fame unless he, his father, and his brother Lanny were inducted all as one. And of course, Randy passed in 2011, and in 2015, Lanny gave the blessing to induct him, but. And his reason was, I think his reason was because he felt like he, Lanny himself, did not deserve a Hall of Fame induction. His career didn't call for it. And it's like, that's a humble thing. I'll give him that. He's not egotistical about his standing. However, it still was Randy's request. He wanted him, his father, and his brother to be inducted all in one. 
The other thing is, is that Randy was so popular as a star that it's like, how do you induct him and lump his father and his brother into it? It would be too much of a distraction. It'd be like back in 2008, both Rocky Johnson and Peter Maivia got inducted into the Hall of Fame. Now, their connection is, is that Peter Maivia is the grandfather and Rocky Johnson is the father of Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. Now, those two had their own separate inductions that year. Obviously, Rocky Johnson accepted his award and Rock, uh, Peter Maivia was posthumously, I always pronounce that word wrong, uh, inducted because he died in the 80s. But let's just say they never got inducted. And one year they decide, we want The Rock Rocky Johnson and Peter Maivia all to take this induction as one. That would be a little too distracting because Rocky Johnson, all due respect to him, he had a legendary career. Peter Maivia, a legendary career. They'd be too much of a distraction to The Rock, who is this megastar. It's almost like they're latching on. They need their own induction. Same thing with Lanny Poffo and the father, who is Angelo Poffo. Randy was just too big of an icon to lump them two in. But in the end, that's what Randy wanted. Lanny decided, induct him. And that was that. But yes, as you said, Lanny Poffo was known to uh, as Leapin' Lanny Poffo, where he would uh, read poems. And he would, uh, what was it? Uh, the Genius came yes. out in a, in a graduation suit. He was the original Damien Sandow. Basically, I know their father ran a territory, ICW. Um, it was not a popular territory. And Randy and Lenny, um, they wrestled there. And I think they they were there to the very end because they just didn't, you know, they wanted to support their father. And they wrestled there as a tag team. And then once that went away, eventually, uh, Randy went up north to work for the WWF. And then not too long after, his brother followed. Yeah. And that's exactly. when he, and I think it was in WWE, he kind of developed a Macho Man persona. And as they say, the rest is history. Yeah, in the case of Lanny, Lanny was, uh, he was mostly an enhancement guy. He would always put other people over. I think he was Jake Roberts' first opponent in the promotion. So, and there was the old myth. I don't know if uh, it's true or not, but there's an old myth. That Lanny Poffo had the ability to give himself oral. To put it bluntly, he could suck his own dick. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't know. That's just a rumor. And when it came to the whole rumor of Randy Savage and Stephanie McMahon having an affair when she was under 18. And I think it was Lanny Poffo that said, there were only two people that know the truth. One is dead, the other isn't talking. I mean, he's not wrong with that statement. No, but he's... Lenny Poffo had a weird way of speaking. He had that deep voice. But, yeah. yeah, it's a shame. Yeah, over the years, the recent years, I know he's done a lot of appearances, autograph signings. Everyone said he's nice. Yeah, and he's a very entertaining shoot interview. You should see some of his shoots, whether you believe him or not. Um, he is very entertaining to listen to. He has some funny stories. Uh, the only thing that's a little bit odd to me is that in his interviews, he always buried Bam Bam Bigelow as a person. He hated Bam Bam as a human being. 
which is strange to me because Bam Bam was the same dude that ran into a house fire and saved a bunch of kids. I would think that somebody who's that big of a scumbag would not save a bunch of kids from a, a house fire. Yeah. But he knew him. I didn't. So I would think his opinion is more valid than mine when it comes to what he thought of him. He did allegedly say that they wanted to use Bam Bam as the guy to replace Randy Savage in the Slim Jim ads. It's kind of strange because, yeah, Bam Bam was a talented guy, but he was never the individual charismatic person that Randy Savage was. So, Oh, no, no. If you watch those commercials, there's no way Bam Bam was going to match that personality. There was no way most talent was going to match. Majority, yeah. And Slim Jim, they they didn't they weren't sponsors for the WWF. They were sponsors for Randy Savage. When right. Randy Savage left for WCW, Slim Jim's like, look, wherever he goes, we're going to follow him. <laughs> yeah, We're sponsoring him, not you guys. And, of course, that even, still Vince. Even to this day, Slim Jim still advertises Randy Savage. And, and, and what do you think about, what's the slogan you think about when it comes to Slim Jim? It's, Slim Jim, do a Slim Jim. Yep, and, and the way he says it, yeah. Yeah, you got to say it like him. And, uh, yeah, but it, this is more about Lanny than it is Randy. So, it's a shame, because as a genius, I thought he, he hit his stride there. Because that, that was some good stuff, wearing the stupid-ass graduation suit, talking all highly intelligent. That's basically where I think Damian Sandow got most of his gimmick from. And, uh, yeah, it's a shame that he never got at least the Intercontinental title as the genius. Yeah, you know, rest in peace to Mr. Lanny Poffo. We eventually have uh, some more deaths to, uh, throughout the week, one of them being at us, a few actresses. Uh, first one I have here is actress Melinda Dillon. She was the mother, uh, Mother Parker, on A Christmas Story, the original. Yeah, I'm not really a fan of that. Yeah, and I know she also did uh, the Spielberg film uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which came out in the late 70s. Um, she was not in the the Christmas Story sequel, the new one that uh, that came out on HBO Max. Uh, they did ask her to come back if she was interested, and she turned him down because she was retired. She's been retired since, I believe, 2007, and uh, she passed away at the age of 83. So that's, that was sad. I mean, they, they had another actress play the mother, but, you know, it would have been great if they would have gotten to her for that part. Yeah, but she's happily retired. She didn't want to come back. I respect that. I can yeah. respect that. Also, uh, another actress is uh, Cindy Williams. She was Shirley on the sitcom Laverne and Shirley. Mmm, you know, Laverne and Shirley. Uh, how does that intro go? Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Toledo. Toledo. Incorporated. <laughs> We're gonna make your dreams come true. Do it always. Wasn't all uh, the dude who played um uh Michael McKean? He was in that show. Yes. Yeah. She just passed away. A uh, Penny Marshall, who was her partner on the show, she passed away uh, five years ago. Well, almost five years ago. She passed away December twenty eighteen. I know, I was uh, Penny Marshall, and she was a director. You know what film she directed? What? Big! That's a great movie. It was filmed in my hometown. Yeah, she was a director behind that. I did, I did not know that. Now, now I have a, I have a respect for her for that. That's cool. But, you know, Cindy was uh, 75, passed away. You know, my, my father brought this up to me. I was like, oh, man, Dad. I was like, that's your kind of like your childhood, or at least your teenager years. 
Yeah. He's like, yeah, it's all, you know, they're all passing away. We can relate when it comes to wrestling because all the wrestlers died at such a young age. So, yeah. Lanny, we just talked about Lanny, but Lanny technically was a little before our time. Yep. Yeah. Uh, another actress that passed away is Lisa Loring, who uh, played Wednesday Adams on the original 1960s uh, sitcom. Hmm. Uh, she passed away at the age of 64. Uh, they said the uh, cause of death is a uh, high blood pressure. Really? Just uh, straight up high blood pressure? Yeah, she had a stroke because of the high blood pressure. Oh, so she had a stroke caused by high blood Okay. Because I, I wouldn't have thought it was just high blood pressure. Something had to happen because of the high blood pressure. It's kind of like um, people will sit here and think that Alzheimer's and dementia are, are the same thing. They're not. Dementia is caused by Alzheimer's. Dementia could also be caused by other things, such as depression, uh, vitamin deficiency, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. There are things that cause. Uh, it's it's in the same vein of coughing is being caused by a cold type of deal. That's basically what that is. I don't know exactly the nuances of just Alzheimer's, but yes. Having a stroke caused by high blood pressure, if that makes sense. Yeah, she passed away. I'm not sure if they ever had any plans to bring her on or at least do like a guest spot or a cameo on the new uh, the Netflix Wednesday series. Mm-hmm. They probably would have found a way, maybe. Maybe if in the future seasons. But, I mean, at least she got to... I don't know if she's even seen the new Netflix, but... Right. It would have been cool if they would have found a way, you know, to bring her on as, as like a walk-on cameo or something. Just to kind of satisfy the old school fans. Yeah. But yeah, she passed away. Uh, there's a few other deaths here. Um, uh, Barrett Strong, a Motown legend. He was a singer and a, and he wrote music for The Temptations. He passed away at the age of 81. Yeah, aren't they all gone at this point? Uh, I know the Motown's founder. He's still alive. Of course, what's his name? Um, uh, uh, Smokey Robinson, he's still alive. Yeah, in fact, he was at the, wasn't he? At, I think he was at the Grammys. I remember seeing the, uh, a biopic of The Temptations, and literally, at least, all of the OG guys are dead, or at least up to that point when they did this movie, except for one. And Jesus Christ, like, a lot of them died under nefarious circumstances, too. I'm surprised that there's still some of them left, I, and I think they're still going to this day. Yeah, and well, Smokey was never part of the Temptations. He wrote music for them. He wrote My Girl for them. Mm. Well, I mean, he still contributed to them. Yeah, he yeah, because he wrote his own music. He wrote music for them. Um, of course, you got Stevie Wonder, who's still who's still kicking. It's mm-hmm. part of from that era. But yeah, that's all. That's all the uh, the debts I have for this week. Uh, well, since we're on the topic of music. I guess I'll talk. You want to talk? Of, do you know anything about the nominees for this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? No, uh, I'm a virgin at this right now. So, well, uh, if you want to even call it a Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, once I read off these names. Oh, Jesus Christ! Here we go. All right, we have 14 artists that are being nominated, or that cool. are nominees. I don't know if this is final or this is set in stone, but these are the names I have come up. And um, now, for those that don't know, the to, to get into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you need to have a debut album, uh, and then you need to. It needs to be 25 years after your debut album to be considered for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, and of course, you need to have a career. So here are the 14 names that are 
nominees. Again, it's not set in stone, but this is what has been considered. I'll go and order here the list that they have in front of me. Do you want me to just read them all the names and then you just give your thoughts? Yeah, go ahead. All right. Kate Bush, Cheryl Crow, Missy Elliott, Iron Maiden, Joy Division slash New Order. I guess they had two different names. Cindy Lauper, George Michael, Willie Nelson, Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden, The Spinners, A Tribe Called Quest, The White Stripes, and Warren Zevon. Hmm. When was The White Stripes' first album? 99. They they formed in 97. They had the first album in 99. So that's... We're still not 25 years since their first album. That's 24. Yeah, but for the fact that they're being considered now for, I guess, for a possible induction. Because they wouldn't... Because by the by that rule, they wouldn't be eligible to get in the Hall of Fame at least till, what, 20... What's the math there? This list here, it, it's not really set in stone for this year it's set it's just for future well yeah either for yeah well because not all of them fit that fit the white stripes because some of them have been have their debut album you know earlier they're just finally either being considered for this year or possibly for the future that's why i said nothing set in stone yet but these were the i guess the 14 big names that they're considering okay um missy elliott I, it feels like a checkmark thing. We need it. We need who's the hip hop artist that's going in this year. But don't who's we the have big a rap- Hall of Fame though? Is there a hip hop Hall of Fame? Uh, I'm asking. I I would think so. So if there's a rap hip hop or a rap Hall of Fame, be inducted into the Rock Hall of Fame. Yeah, I I I I don't know. I don't know why they're doing this. Yeah, this makes no sense. Sh- Cheryl Crow. Ah. Uh... Let me look up Cheryl Crow real quick. What kind of music? Do you, she does rock, country, blues. I say rock, maybe pop music. But rock, when I think of rock, Crow, I think of like hard rock. Like Led Zeppelin, Ozzy, uh, Rolling Stones. Hell, Rage Against the Machine, Soundgarden. Those are rock. So then, hold up. You said hard rock. I don't think I hard would, rock. Um, I don't like, think those are hard rock. And... They're clear-cut Hall of Famers. Who? Um, the Beatles. Oh, yeah, they're Hall of Famers. Yeah, they, they, they were rock. they were rock and roll. I don't know. I don't know what you would consider hard rock of nineteen. 19- I, I hard rock didn't really come into the scene until like what late seventies. Right, but that's this is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which broadens the idea of rock music. It could be hard rock, it could be heavy metal, hard rock, heavy metal, maybe soft rock. Soft rock. I, I don't know if country would be involved in that, but country has their own Hall of Fame. All right, yeah. Then, which but, well, I would hope, I would think, I think Willie Nelson's in that. I'm just still struggling with Missy Elliott. That's the one that struck me the most, and a Tribe Called Quest. Even, even like a George Michael or Cindy Lauper, they're pop. Yeah, Cindy Lauper's more pop. I don't get that one either. I mean, look, I look. Cindy Lauper was a very big deal in the mid in the '80s. Probably one of the top biggest pop stars. Maybe the only one that could probably rival her as a female artist would be Madonna. Yeah. Right? Is there? I mean, unless there's another one Madonna's I'm missing. Bigger, but yeah, Cindy Lauper's up there. Kate Bush. Is it because of Stranger Things? I'm running up that hill song. Uh, yeah, I would think so. Uh, 
I didn't even like that song. <laughs> I like it, but is, does she have any other hits besides running up I, that hill? I was gonna say, do you know any other songs from Kate Bush? Did she get? Was she maybe involved a lot more behind the scenes? To be fair, she doesn't do my type of music, so I wouldn't know if she has any other hits. So I'm not gonna pass judgment on that. I mean, unless, wanna... I mean, unless she did a lot behind the scenes, because they do induct songwriters as well. Right, but okay. So now let me go into what I'm saying here. I'm not going to pass judgment on her, but I do listen to A Tribe Called Quest. I have one of their albums. I think it's questionable we're inducting them into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame when the Hall of Fame they should be inducted in is the Rap Hip-Hop Hall of Fame. And going where I'm going, in New York City, they do have a Hip-Hop Hall of Fame museum. So there is a Rap Hall of Fame. In fact... It started in 2000. It says here on Wikipedia, the Hip Hop Hall of Fame has held inductions in the 1990s on BET and in 2014. So they do have a Hall of Fame. But the only ones that are inducted thus far are Cool Herc, Grandmaster Flash, Run DMC and Jam Master J, DJ Red Alert. Then you got Sugar Hill Gang, The Sequence, The Mercedes Ladies, Wild Style, Charlie Ahern. Do they, do they have one for this year? Do you see a list of, or at least nominations that they have for this year? Let me let me finish where I was going because it's not that many. Okay. Mr. Magic, Cornbread, Stay High, One Forty Nine, The End Twins, Ralph McDonald's, McDaniel's, excuse me, and DJ Hollywood. It doesn't say here specifically what year they got inducted. This is just their names. But I would think personally that if you're going to induct someone like Missy Elliott and Tribe Called Quest, you got to put them in a rap hall of fame. When you put them in a rock hall of fame, here, here's the problem. You put them in a rock hall of fame, and then you decide to make a, make a big event called the rap hall of fame. Well, why are we putting them in the rock hall of fame when there's a possibility we can have a rap hall of fame and they're going to be inducted in there as well? It's just well, yeah. make it Artists sense. should be inducted in their respective music genres. That's like if you were to induct Muhammad Ali in the WWE hall of fame. They would, trust me, they would do that. But most people would question that, and logically so. Since Muhammad Ali, his only involvement in wrestling that I can think of was his fight with Antonio Noki and him being a guest referee in the main event of WrestleMania 1. WrestleMania gig, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's so, just like putting Jackie Chan in the UFC Hall of Fame. Or Bruce Lee in the UFC Hall of Fame. Yeah, and, you know, and... I mean, but this has been going on for the last couple of years now. They did it with Tupac. They did it with Biggie. I mean, last year they put Dolly Parton in. And Dolly Parton said, you know, all due respect, like, guys, don't vote for me. I'm not rock and roll. I'm a country star. I do country music. Yeah. She got voted in anyway, and she was like, oh, you know, I guess I'll just take it. And at her speech, she performed, she literally wrote a rock and roll song specifically for the Hall of Fame because she doesn't do rock and roll. And that was the only rock and roll song she's ever done. I haven't seen the performance my father has, and he told me it was awesome. It was like he was like, "Holy shit, she can actually do rock and roll if she really wanted to." But she did it just for that show. So, in other words, it's not a, a rock and roll version of her song Jolene. She just did a whole new song. She wrote a whole new song, specifically, you know, a, a whole new rock and roll song just for that her induction. Just to, you know, just to say, you know, I did a rock and roll song. Just so her induction, I guess, makes more sense to her. But it still doesn't because... It still doesn't, yeah, because I, 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 again, like... Her career is country. 
Yeah, same. I, I, I mean, we have Willie Nelson here. Um, I haven't heard of all his entire um, disco. What is it called? Dis- discography. 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 Yeah. I don't know if he's ever done rock and roll, but I know he's a big country star. He's a legend. People know who he is. Yeah, which put him in the country hall of fame. That's he's where he's a, and he, yeah, he's already in it. He may have two inductions actually. Okay, so why are we going to put him in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I don't know. I mean, unless he's done some crossovers, I, I I don't know. This is not the Music Hall of Fame where, yeah, you can induct anybody you want that you feel sold a lot of albums or made an impact. This is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Now you're just loosely tying in anybody at this point. <laughs> like, who's going to be next? Daddy Yankee? You're gonna put- <laughs> <laughs> I and I told my dad this. I was like, "Dad, you realize I don't know if the Supremes, a group of girls who were from I think Motown, who are not rock stars, they may be in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because let's just say if they're in, do you realize in a couple years the Spice Girls would be eligible?" And he just rolled. He's like, "Oh God!" Spice I girl. told him, "What is it? What is the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame going to look like in ten years?" Yeah, Menudo, uh, who the, the hell Backstreet else? Boys? Backstreet Boys, Sync, Justin Bieber? Oh my god, Taylor Swift? Uh, and Miley Cyrus? Yeah, and you know, and, I, and I'm gonna ask you this now, who's today's Led Zeppelin? Today? Who's today's Ozzy? Oh my god, you can't do Ozzy because everyone gets easily offended. Who's the number one rock and roll band today? God, How, who, who are the top five? You would have asked me this a few years ago, and I don't even think the rock and roll. One band I thought was solid enough was Twenty One Pilots, but I don't—they're not really rock and roll. They're not. I would they're, to me, they're pop. Yeah. Taylor Swift uh, at one point was country, but then they switched her over to do pop. Oh my now, now she's just a straight up pop artist. She's she hasn't been country in like over ten years. Man, I don't know. I really don't know who would be a. I I told you I think rock music's dead. Well, yeah, because a lot of music is like remanufactured and stuff. I don't know. I, there really isn't because again, with the influx of SoundCloud and all that stuff, where you can get famous on your own. It's really hard to be a rock star to go into your garage and suck before you get good so yeah. that you can get a record deal. Like, uh, I, I don't know if you know of a... What kind of group is the 1975? Uh, no, they're considered pop. I figured they would be rock because uh, they did talk a lot about Oasis and all that stuff, and they come from the same country as Oasis. But yeah, it says here they're more like pop, electronic pop, indie rock. I mean, oh my god. There's no more rock music and there's no more rap groups. Wait, you mean to tell me the Island Boys aren't a rap group? The Island Boys? I haven't heard of them. They're the guys that sing, Because I'm an island boy, I'm an island boy. They came, got famous on Twitter, or not Twitter, I'm sorry, uh, TikTok, because they had hair similar to Sideshow Mel from The Simpsons and just sang that song. Oh. And then got even more famous, well, infamous, I should say, when uh, they were on Logan Paul's podcast and walked off because one of them gave them advice about how they should pawn their jewelry if they, if somehow the rap career doesn't go successful. Stupid shit. Yeah. 
that's where we are as a country. This is our new deal. Yeah, this is our music industry today. Yeah. I mean, Iron Maiden, long time coming. They should have been in already. I think Judas Priest just got in last year, which, which is crazy. Oasis still ain't in. No Oasis. This is bullshit, man. Uh, Warren Zevon. I li- I've always liked Warren Zevon. I've always liked his music. Werewolves of London. Oh, yeah. My mom hated that song for some reason. I like Poor, Poor, Pitiful Me. That was a good song. It's a good yeah. catchy song. Before we move on, going back to Werewolves of London, when we go to mini golf in Florida, you're going to hear that song in the horror mini golf section. <laughs> Werewolves of London. I I can't figure out why my mom hates that song. What do you think of White Stripes? Oh, yeah, deserved. 100%. I mean, they came up with a song that's now used at soccer matches. Yeah. That's, like, enough. But they also had uh, other songs, like uh, Inky Thump. Wasn't that the one I was using, Pulling Dynamite? Probably. But I think we're different credits i know these they're very famous because it's two people jack and meg white and they had limited resources to make their music they they challenged themselves with the limited amount of resources being a two-person group to be able to make the music that they did so i think they deserve it 100 percent. yep i hope they uh, do they still get along because i mean obviously the white stripes are not around anymore they broke up not around but it's not because of a bad fallout i think it was because jack white felt like the group ran its course and didn't want to uh it's not insult the integrity but didn't want the white stripes to become a parody of itself and meg white even before the white stripes and even now she's a painfully shy person so she didn't like being in front of the camera unless it was with jack and they were married at one point, but by the time the band was really becoming successful, they were already divorced, I think. And mm-hmm. yeah, it was amicable. It was just what it was. But Meg, ever since the band broke up in 2011, she just kind of has lived a private life since then. Uh, she's had a lot of flat because her drumming is too simple. But I thought her simple drumming is what made the White Stripes. Yeah, it's just more so he, he felt like the band ran its course. There you go. Soundgarden. I've heard of Black Hole Sun. Great song. I got to see them live. I saw them perform live. So, um, unfortunately, I was not there for them. I was there for Nine Inch Nails. But I'm glad to have seen Chris Cornell perform before he passed away three years later because I went in 2014. Um, Yeah, Black Hole Sun is their most notable track. Um, Yeah, I think they deserve it. They were one of the big grunge bands of the 90s. Yep, yeah. Um, I know they've been saying that... um... Rage Against the Machine has been a name that's been brought up for the past couple years. Yeah, I think they deserve it, too, because they, they infused rock music with rapping as part of their vocals. They're definitely a candidate. I think what's hurt them is that their discography is, is very limited. They only have three albums and then one cover album where it's just all cover songs. Hmm. That really hurts them in the long run. Uh, let's see the spinners uh, i don't think i've heard of maybe i may have heard the music not realizing it's them yeah i haven't heard much from them um we talked about cindy lopper uh george michael because i gotta yeah. have faith i gotta have faith 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 don't know much so again he's he's a pop guy um 80s 80s pop star rock and roll no 
I, if there's like a pop hall of fame, he going. Yeah. Um. Let's see. Joy Division new slash new order. Ooh. Joy Division, yes, because they were like that dark. And, and the reason it's new order is because the lead guy, uh, what's his name, uh, Ian Curtis, killed himself. So it's mm. kind of like they, they were like post. They were called post punk gothic rock type of stuff. They were kind of the early inflection of new wave. So when Ian Curtis died, all the I guess all the members went in and developed New Order, and New Order is the group that sings that song. How does it feel to treat me like you do? Boom Monday. So yeah, I think they deserve it. In fact, their two albums that they had when Ian Curtis was alive, Unknown Pleasures and Closer, are like well-renowned albums. So who knows where the band would have gone had Ian Curtis not killed himself? Uh, let's see, Iron Maiden. That's a no-brainer. Uh, we mentioned Kate Bush. We mentioned Missy Elliott. Yeah, well, left here. Um, Cheryl Crow. If it makes you happy, <laughs> then why the hell are you so sad? I did like her music. I mean, I mean, obviously it's girl music, but you know, I I like it then. I was like, oh, that's, that's that's that girl shit. But you know, looking back on it, I was like, yeah, it, it was good. Every day is a winding road. Come a little bit closer. Yeah. Isn't she the Again, one that, rock, rock and is, roll? Isn't she the one that did that song with Kid Rock? No, that, I think that was Jewel. Are you sure? I want to say Jewel. No, hold up, hold I, up. I, I do get them too confused. No, it was Cheryl Crow. They did that song Picture. Okay, so I was there. Okay. Yeah, I, I know I, I know that song. I knew it wasn't. Would you say Jewel? <laughs> I said Jewel. Yeah, I'm like, okay, maybe I am wrong, but I know it ain't Jewel. <laughs> I like Cheryl Crow. Um, rock and roll. Uh, I love rock and roll. I want to soak up the sun. Wait, Cheryl Crow did that one too? Yeah. Oh my I God. got a 45 on so I can rock on. He did more music that I know than I realized. It was the same thing when... um. When Alex and I, you, he was on the show a couple times. I didn't realize how many. Sh- uh, what's that stupid group? Off. Oh, fuck. They're the, <laughs> same, they're the same guys that sing. Uh, I just wanna fly. Oh, what's in it? Sugar Ray. Sugar Ray. I didn't realize how many Sugar Ray songs I knew. Unbelievable. Maybe they could go in the Hall of Fame. They're a rock band, right? Ah. Uh... Oh yeah, Cheryl Crow did the James Bond. Tomorrow never dies. I forgot that. Oh yeah, Sugar Ray is eligible. Their first album was 1995. Well, I would, you know, another band I would consider, if not in, in within a couple years, would be Third Eye Blind. Oh yeah, the do 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 do, or the um, what's I that wish, song? Uh, the Suicide Song. I wish you would step back from that ledge, my friend. My friend, or the other one. Uh, Oh, shit. What's that stupid song from Third Eye Blind? We're not continuing until I know how... Uh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> something. Oh, yeah. Hillary Duff did a cover of it just recently. Yeah. Did like hip, did like hip now hop. I'm so mad at myself, I can't think of it. 
Like this is one of those things where I'm having a br- uh, no. I think it's, I think is it turnaround. It's never let you go. Never I, let you go. Yeah, turnarounds in the lyrics. Never let you go. Yeah. Yeah. I'll never let you turn around or back on each other. That's a good idea. Break a promise to your mother. Turn around your back on each other. Man, this song. This song adding it to my Spotify collection as we speak. Yeah, this this podcast is full of brain farts since we can't come up with lyrics and figure out who sang what. <laughs> Thank you, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But yeah, that's um, those are all the nominees. As I mentioned, nothing is set a stone. S- set a stone. Nothing is set in stone. What is, what, I think they do their their Hall of Fame ceremony. I think in the summertime. I, I don't know when, or maybe sometime in April. You would have that information more than I would. I wouldn't know. I, I mean, I, I have to wait. But you know, we mentioned like the names that they have announced, like. Because in the recent years, like, you know, you have, like, your Eminem, Tupac, Biggie, Lionel Richie, uh, Dolly Parton, who I mentioned. So, you have those controversial inductees, but it, it feels like a checklist. Like, you know, yeah. we got to have your hip-hop artist, your hip-hop group, uh, uh, a soul artist, like a Lionel Richie. I'm expecting Luther Vandross to get in within a couple years. That's right. Fat Boy Slim might get in. Fat Boy Slim, right? <laughs> Right about now, the Funk Soul Brother, check it out now, Funk Soul Brother, right about, or, uh... Tone to- Lock is gonna get in. Wow, thanks. I'm in a pain. But yeah, that is your, uh, possibly your, this year's Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. We'll have to, uh, wait and see what happens, but for the most part, this, this may be Sunstone. Like Harry Potter and the Sorcerers. Well, I only got one more news story, and then the floor is going to be yours. Jesus, this is going to be a long-ass podcast. This is going to be a long- <laughs> And we still got a movie review to do. Um, well, James Gunn. Uh, you know, Keep this in mind. No relation to Bart or Billy. No relation to Bart, Billy, or the Gun Boys. Uh, it's, it's Hollywood James Gunn. Um... Are we putting too much faith in James Gunn? Is he is he the Jesus of the DC films? Do we have to just as as the kids say on the internet, let it play out? The last time someone thought that they were going to be a savior, they thought Vince Russo bro was going to save WCW. Well, this isn't the wrestling business. This is Hollywood. Even worse, Gunn took the job that I think nobody wanted. And that is basically to be the the big creative force, the Kevin Feige of the DC films. Over the past decade, you know, DC has been wanting to play catch up with Marvel with their movies. After the success of the Avengers, you know, they wanted to do their own version. And the advantage that DC has over Marvel is that they own all their characters. You know, you don't have to go through Sony to get the Spider-Man and all that shit. No, no, no. You got everything right in front of you. They had all the keys, to, they had all the ingredients to success, just that they just had too many cooks in the kitchen. Everybody wanted to do their own thing, and when things didn't work out with this chef, they tried this chef. And they said, well, if you look at the, the restaurant across the street, what are they doing right that we're doing wrong? We need to be more funny. And, you know, everything that you guys were supposed to be against, you ended up doing. And then you ended up hiring all of their employees. 
to do what made them successful, but it just didn't work here for, you know, because whether it be creative control, spending X amount of money, trying to blackball people. I mean, it's, it was, it, it, it was, it's unfortunate because I really wanted these films to work. But, you know, you look at the D, I sent you the picture. If you look at the DC films under the Zack Snyder, the, you know, movie catalog that they wanted to do, and then you look at James Gunn's plan, you can tell who read comic books and who didn't. I'm looking at the Zack Snyder one. 2013, you got Man of Steel, and then you got Batman, Superman, Justice, Suicide Squad. I'm looking at all these. This, that list you have is, was their original plan. But after when John Dawn of Justice flopped at the box office, they were scared. So they ended up changing some of these movies around. Some of them never even got made. Some of them still have to come out like The Flash. Well, hold up. How bad of a flop was Dawn of Justice? Dawn of Justice, I believe the budget in total, I think overall was like $400 million. And it grossed what? $600. I I think they needed to at least hit about the billion dollar mark to see profit. I see. Yeah, that would be a flop. So kind of similar to um, the Ghostbusters remake where they the the box office was bigger than the budget, but they had to see a ridiculous amount of money to see any of that money back because of all the promotion. Um, Let's see. Yeah, the budget, yeah, 250 to 300 million, and they made back 873. So they, yeah, they still had to make at least a billion to see anything. Um, I don't... And and you gotta realize, by the time this film came out, Justice League was already under production. So DC, they're sitting back on their chairs, smoking their cigars, thinking, oh yeah, this is gonna be a hit. And now, of course, the movie came out, and then critically and financially, it was not worth it. You still have those that like the film. You have those diehard Zack Snyder fans that like it, that support this movie no matter what. Unfortunately, in the middle of the production, Snyder's daughter passed away. I believe she committed suicide. So mm-hmm. the guy the guy had to step back to be there for his family and for himself. So, so the, the film did not finish filming. So instead, they brought in Josh Whedon to finish up the movie. Of course, Whedon was fresh off the Avengers. All right, let me ask you this. And he made a shit ton of changes. Let me ask you this, because this is the feeling I'm getting. Go ahead. Do you think that with Marvel, the reason it worked was because they took their time with everything before they got hit with Guardians and were able to build everything properly? Whereas in the case with DC, they just wanted to wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, the whole thing. Yeah, it's it's a I mean, everyone's heard of the story of the hare and the tortoise. And the main lesson of that of that story is slow and steady wins the race. Yeah. Uh, DC didn't get that memo. They wanted to be the hare. They wanted to get the finish line and play catch up as quickly as possible. They didn't want to develop anything. They just went. They used two of their most popular IPs, which is Batman and Superman, and they wanted within two films they wanted to set up to Justice League. And then within that second movie, you had they included the Flash, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, and. Uh, and teased Cyborg. Sounds like a lot because it was and it didn't work. And by the time the Justice League movie came out, what happened was, um, I'm gonna give you the clip notes. Snyder had to step away. He didn't finish the movie. He finished most of it. But he had to step away because of his family matters. Jeff, we- uh, Josh Wheaton came in 
And basically, the studio gave him complete creative control of what he wanted to do because, of course, he had the Avengers. So he kind of had some muscle. Um, and Snyder made it. Snyder. Weed made a, sh- a shit ton of changes. A lot of the main actors didn't like working with him. He, um, and since then, the stories I came with was that he wanted to blackball Gail Cadet, the actress that played Wonder Woman. Has she not done what he told her? He spent, I think, another 150 to possibly 300 million fixing um, or re- reshooting everything that Zack Snyder already shot just to give it more, I guess, the Marvel charm. And and then when the film came out, it only made like 600 million back. Justice League made only 600 million back compared to Avengers, which made double that. Well, the problem is, is that, okay, you got Justice League, right? And one superhero that's involved in Justice League is Batman. And we did have Batman movies prior to that, but it was in the Nolan universe. And I would presume that if they had done a Justice League movie where they were to, able to incorporate Christian Bale's Batman along with, um, what's his name, Joseph Gordon-Lovett, who would become, quote-unquote, Robin, you may have some layer in that along with any other DC film that you're going to do. Problem is, is that they tried to create a whole another universe by using Batman versus Superman with Ben Affleck as the Batman that wasn't built up properly as Batman. Whereas, like, I didn't really watch all the Marvel movies, but the one that I did watch was the very first Iron Man film. They at least built up Robert Downey Jr.'s version of Iron Man prior to his inclusion into that Avengers movie, so you are now connected with him. How are you going to get connected with Ben Affleck's Batman if he hasn't been built up properly you had yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of people may not know this, but originally when they were starting the this the DC Universe 10 years ago, they offered Bale to come back. They offered him $50 million to come back. And he said no because he just wanted to move on. But the people say, oh, you know, everybody knows who Batman and Superman are already. True, but we don't know much about this version of Batman. Yeah, it's a whole new version. And everybody's got their own interpretation of their story. Their their stories are relatively the same, but have altered differences. Like Christian Bale's Batman, his universe is more realistic. Maybe. This is just my opinion. This is not based on any facts whatsoever. This is just based on assumptions. What would have helped DC is, look at Marvel. It's more, when I say animated, I mean a lot more unrealistic stuff like Thor with his hammer, you got uh, Spider-Man with his whips, whatever the fuck. Now granted, DC has some unrealistic stuff like Superman, Aquaman, and all that, but maybe if you can incorporate more realism to the superheroes, that's one way you can differ from Marvel and have your own twist to it. Make it a little bit more realistic with a little bit of unrealism. Like, the unrealism being Aquaman can swim underneath water and all that. But maybe come up with a different way, maybe a more realistic way. Just come up with something that would make you unique. Because we already discussed the other thing that would make DC different is that they're darker. But instead, it's just like you're trying too hard to be Marvel. But you're trying trying to... You're trying too hard to be too dark. 
you're trying like there are people be, that shouldn't be dark you're and, trying to be uh, marvel that already crossed the finish line before going on the journey that got them to the finish line exactly what do you want me to say i really i don't well, know if james, like how much power does james gunn have he is kevin feige he is the guy right now when it comes to the dc films so he literally everything goes to him like he's the final say yes Okay. To, in in the DC movie slash television division, he is the guy. So you have the picture of James Gunn's DCU plans. All right. So uh, we'll just read all some titles. Just let me know if this does does anything. Well, I'm not gonna read. It. You have it in front of you. Does anything there excite you? No. no. I will. I will say seeing Chapter One: Gods and Monsters that does have me intrigued. But to an average movie guy like you, who's not. A com- you're not really you're not really a comic book guy. Only Batman and the Crow. Only Batman and the Crow. And so and Deadpool. And Deadpool. Okay, but looking at this list, you see Paradise Lost. You see Booster Gold. You see Waller. You see Creature Commandos. And you're probably saying to yourself, "What the fuck is that?" Yeah. <laughs> what the and, fuck is that? There's there, there's another comic that I'm into, but I don't think it'll ever be a movie. It's made into a video game. Uh, Fables. That's never going to be a movie. It's too niche. So, I don't expect to see it. If I do expect to see a movie of Fables, I think it's going to suck. Because I'm very cynical like that. No, none of these movies or TV shows intrigue me. None of the slightest. Because I look at this, I'm like, okay, so who's going to be your Robert Downey? Who's the leader? You you still need a guy that's going to lead the way. They tried with Dwayne. Yeah, they tried with fucking Black Adam. And they think, well, we cast Dwayne Johnson, it's still going to sell. Well, it didn't. Who's going to be the guy in, in James Gunn's DCU? Is it going to be Superman? You could have two guys, Superman and Batman, I guess. The bra- There's the Brave and the Bold. That's Batman. I believe um, it's supposed to be Batman and Damian Wayne. Well, I- wouldn't the Batman be Robert Pattinson? Uh, no. That's going to be its own thing. I, I'm guessing Matt Reeves must have called dibs on Dick Grayson. So then, what, this is what I'm saying, though. They <laughs> finally got something with Robert Pattinson. Granted, he wasn't perfect, but he, he was fine. But we're not going to include that. We're going to have a separate Batman, and we're going to have this Batman. On. Like, come on, dude. Yeah, it's a separate thing. And also, I think uh, 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 the, uh, the Joker movie, or what's his name? Uh, Joaquin. Because that's supposed to get a sequel, too. That's also going to be its own thing. So then what's the purpose? Yeah, it sounds confusing. It's not just confusing. It's mind-boggling being that they want to be like Marvel and create a Justice League movie that has that same capture that the Avengers did. How are you going to do that if you've got two movies that were well-renowned, well-successful, and you can run with those, but no, we're not going to include those. They're their own entity. I've always said I really think... Logically, they should all just be its own separate films. Be in their own little universe, because let's be Batman does not need a shared universe with any of these heroes. They need him before he needs them. Same with Superman. Yeah. But if you look at it from a financial standpoint, that's how they're looking at this. It's it's always about the fucking dollars. And what's and what's what's the money is is doing a shared universe. That's this is currently his plan. Uh, we don't have any actors casted yet for any of these parts. We could we could fantasy cast another time. 
Um, but but yeah, um, Robert Pattinson, uh, the Matt Reeves Batman movies are going to be its own thing. Joaquin's Joker is its own thing. Are they ever going to cross over into James Gunn's world? We don't know. It's still very early to tell, but I, I highly doubt it. <laughs> so that's that's what's happening right now at DC. And plus, um, I don't know how they're going to finance these projects because we've been hearing for net for a while that Warner's running out of money. And we're running out of patience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's that. So that's all the news stories I have. Um, you mentioned that you have you you have a list. Yeah, I have a list. I wrote this a couple of years ago. Oh damn! Yeah, and I didn't know if I actually done it on this podcast, but now I'm going to do it. I had to reconfirm with you the top ten villains in movies. Ah, no, no particular order. No particular order. No. So I'm just going to go from one to ten. There's no order. In- uh- I may I may stop you just to talk about it if I you know if I'm like why this guy. Okay. Number one is a pretty obvious one if anybody knows me in any way, shape, or form personally. Uh, it would be the Joker from Dark Knight played by Heath Ledger. Of course, yep. That's, that's got to be. Um, I mean, what can be said? Heath Ledger took a role that nobody thought he would ever be destined for, and thought that he shouldn't have been in. It's the same guy from Brokeback Mountain and 10 Things I Hate About You. Nobody thought he can do it. And unfortunately, he passed away before the movie made its way into the movie theaters. So he never got to see the legacy that he left for this character. Absolute shame, but he he killed it here. It's literally my favorite Joker iteration. Just seeing what he's going to do next and all the unpredictable things that he does. The unpredictable nature of the Joker and just what he does just to fuck with people is just crazy. He he does a fantastic job here and it's just convincing to me he's a complete psychopath. Number two would be Anton Chigurh from No Country for All Men played by Javier Bordel. This fucking guy here, Anton Chigurh, is the complete opposite of the Joker as far as being a psychopath, but just as scary. Because this guy, he talks very softly, but it's very intimidating. He doesn't have to scream, he doesn't have to shout. He just has to look at you and say what he has to say in his very soft tone voice, just like I'm talking right now. And it's very scary. The scene where he tells the guy at the gas station to call a coin flip is probably some of the scariest shit you'll see without gore or violence or a jump scare or whatever. Because you're feeling for this guy and thinking that he's going to die in that moment. So Javier Bordem deserves all the credit in the world. And I think he won Best Actor that year for this movie. Uh, I think, yeah, either Best Actor or Best Supporting Actor. Yeah, and same with Heath Ledger with Joker. It's Dark Knight, he won. So I, I'm not sure if Dark Knight was even nominated for Best Picture. I don't think they were, which is crazy. Best Picture, but Heath Ledger won Best. Yeah, he won Best Supporting Actor, but not. It was just that entire movie was great. Like I think the whole film should have been nominated for Best Picture. I don't think it was. I know no country was nominated. Well, yeah, that movie was a classic in and of itself. But Javier Bardem just really knocked this role out of the park. So much so that when um, he 
I was told he played a role in uh, one of the 007 movies with Daniel Craig. Wasn't surprised they picked him because he's very good. Well, yeah, that that really I think that blew up his career. That really jump started him. I mean, he was already around the business, but that really got everyone's attention. Like, wow. Well, where has this guy been? Yep. Next on this list is Scar from The Lion King, played by Jeremy Irons. I mean, this character in particular is, for a Disney film, fucking evil. He is jealous of his brother. He wants to be the king. And he kills his brother maliciously and then tells the son of his brother that it's his fault that his father died making him run away that is some sick shit and then he takes over the kingdom and the voice that's used that jerry irons pulls off it's just it's pretty fantastic but when you think about it for a disney flick jeremy irons as scar is a dark 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 character so dark that i'm surprised they got away with some of the shit they did long live the king right before he I killed that line yeah just completely sick the next one this one is gonna get a laugh probably from you but it's one of my favorite villains oh so enjoyable miss trunchbull from matilda played by pam ferris of course <laughs> pam ferris is as miss trunchbull was fucking great this woman literally killed her husband, but not her husband, I'm sorry, her brother, to inherit the house in the month, kicked a cat, throws people, children in particular, in a closet with nails sticking out, forced a little boy to eat cake, threw a girl, almost impaled her through a fence. This woman would go up into people's faces and start screaming at them, calling them disgusting little criminals. Pam Ferris does not get enough credit in the world for her ability to just completely morph into a character. This character was so unique that you would think it's its own actress, but when you actually see Pam Ferris without the, the makeup that they use to make her Miss Trunchbull, completely different looking. Nowhere near as repulsive as Miss Trunchbull was. But yeah, Miss Trunchbull had great lines. Like when uh, Danny DeVito said... Uh, I, I have one son, Mike, and a mistake, Matilda. And she's like, oh, mistakes, all of them, those children. Glad I never was one. <laughs> he's, he's got great one-liners in there. Like uh, when the girl's like, oh, my, pig, my pigtails are sweet. Or my mommy says they're sweet. Your mommy is a twit. <laughs> what a fucking bitch. Not, not to mention the very first line they throw us with with her face being shown on the camera was ah fresh meat this woman was just great with the one-liner so yeah there's that's another one of my favorites and i wish pam ferris would reprise the role at least at some point but who knows next on the list this one would probably be no surprise to anybody uh biff tannen from back to the future played by thomas f wilson i was gonna say i if you don't say biff like biff it's so fucking funny. He's he too's got his one-liners like, "What are you looking at, butthead?" And then don't forget his famous one: "Why don't you make like a tree and get out of here?" It's Lee. Make like a tree and Lee. Damn it, you sound like an idiot when you say that. 
Um, yeah, uh, he's actually in all three movies, but I didn't really, really watch the third movie as much as the first two. Um, but yeah, he's literally the bully of uh, George McFly, pretty much. Oh, McFly family. Yeah. <laughs> all the different periods of history. Mm-hmm. Little McFly knocking him in the head. He was just a bully throughout the whole film. All of them. And he just plays it so well. He just plays like that fucking arch nemesis bully so well. You so, can tell he's having fun. And he's having fun as well. So much so that it carried over when he uh, the guy voiced Flats for Spongebob. It, it's There's something about Biff that's just like so charming that you just want to keep watching what he's going to do next. Yeah. So. Honorable mention would be his grandson, Griff. Just when did you become the physical type? Yeah. <laughs> Batter so, up. Yep, that's number five. Uh, number six, I don't know if you would agree with me on this, but this is coming from nostalgia purposes as a child. Uh, the Wicked Witch of the West from Wizard of Oz, played by Margaret Hamilton. She knocked this role out of the park. She not just was the wizard or the wicked witch she also played the uh the woman the grouchy old woman that wanted to kidnap the dog not kidnap but get the dog put to sleep because the dog bit her or some shit so when dorothy's in her dreams obviously everybody that she knows is a different person the scarecrow the tin man and the, the lion but that woman is the wicked witch in her dream and she does a lot of fucked up shit she tries to put them to sleep with snow she actually kidnaps Dorothy so she can have the shoes the ruby slippers and possibly gas her in a room it, she's a pretty fucked up villain and some of the scenes that she has where she's laughing in that green makeup she does such a great job and and it's so well done because if you actually watch Margaret Margaret, Margaret Hamilton out of the makeup and herself she is nothing like the witch so she did a fantastic job of making this character such lifelike and i love her story of how she got the role she talks about how like the uh, whoever it was called her up and said oh we want you to have a role in the wizard of oz and she was like oh my god i'm so excited i love that story as a child i loved it when my mom used to read that story to me every time it's one of my favorite stories so what role uh, am i gonna get and they said the witch she goes the witch and then they gave her one look and said yeah who else very, very funny story from Margaret Hamilton. I thought nailed this out of the park so much so that she was a guest star in Sesame Street as the Wicked Witch, where she loses her broom and she's got to get it back. And it was shown once and was banned for like 46 years. And just recently, within the last six months, the episode resurfaced. But it was considered a lost episode. So interesting stuff. Number seven might not shock you. Um, Ivan Drago from Rocky IV, played by Dolph Lundgren. Okay. And not much you could say about him since he's the very silent type, but he's big, he's mean looking, and at this time when there was problems between USA and Mother Russia or USSR, the lines that he did say were pretty intimidating. He had very few lines, uh, and the lines that he said word that always stuck with me was if he dies, he dies after he beats Apollo Creed and then who can forget the big line that he said to Rocky right before his fight I must break you he has way more lines in Creed too but 
but his limited dialogue in the fourth movie made him that much more intimidating. He was just an intimidating force, and the way he killed Apollo Creed and had no remorse whatsoever. It's, it's, he's a sick character, and I think Dolph Lundgren was the best person for this role. Um, have you seen the director's cut of Rocky IV, uh, Rocky vs. Drago? I have not. I heard about it. I do want to see it, though. There is a documentary. I don't know if it's still on, Prime, on Amazon Prime. It's only it's only about an hour. It's just uh, behind the scenes of uh, them making it. It's just basically Stallone sitting in the room, and he's just talking about the process, how he made the movie, how he cast it, how he wrote the script. Originally, in the script, Drago had a lot more lines. It wasn't until um, this guy Lundgren got the part, Stallone. Stallone wrote and directed Rocky IV. He wrote all the Rocky movies, actually. Yeah. Um, he, he realized, like, oh, my God, like, the way he talks, he'd be way more intimidating if he only says very few. So Stallone went back, edited edit his script, and basically took out all the lines of Drago and just kept it very simple. Very short one-liners, and basically it was everything you just said. If he dies, yeah. he dies. Which was probably the right choice for Sylvester Stallone because he created such an iconic character out of him. Because Ivan Drago is such an intimidating character. He's not one of those like, ah, oh, man, he's such an asshole. I want to fuck him up. It's like, yo, he's scary. But somebody needs to stop him type of deal. And who better than Rocky Balboa? And he said in the documentary he regrets killing off uh, Creed. Mm. In part four. Agreed. Agreed. I didn't think Apollo should die. That's one of the one things I wish they would have changed. But he said, he said, he says, damn, you know, I could have maybe just had maybe Drago paralyze them. You know, the you know the effects would have still been the same. Yeah. And, and the guy that's recording Stallone saying that says, damn, he says, if uh, Carl Weathers hears you say that now, he's gonna be like, damn it, Stallone, I could have been alive for at least two more movies. Yeah. And they both laugh. They're like, yeah. He says, yeah. Looking back at it, he says, now that I'm a lot more experienced, I'm a lot more polished as a writer, director, I look at some of these, you know, my old work, I'm like, you know, damn, I could have done this better. I could have done this. But he's, but, you know, he says, like, he is very happy with how Rocky versus Drago came out. And it's the preferred version over but Rocky. Here's the thing, though. I think if he didn't kill off Apollo, I don't think Creed would have had that same effect. Because his father's dead. And obviously, he's in his father's shadow. And then it's like, well, what do you need Rocky for? You got your father. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You could have, possibly the franchise would have been really a lot different had Creed even been alive. Yeah. I mean, maybe they would eventually kill him off. I mean, he would have died probably under natural you know, circumstances. But it, yeah. it, it's, it's, a, it's a what if. Number eight, Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter, Ralph Fiennes. What, what more can you say? There's really not much known about him other than that he was Tom Marvolo Riddle before he became Lord Voldemort and wanted to take over Hogwarts and, I guess, all of the world. He wanted. He basically was on a killing spree and nearly killed the baby, but he failed. Can't really say much about this character, but he does kill a lot of kids. He kills Cedric, played by, <laughs> who we talked about earlier, Robert Pattinson. Uh, the way he's just callous and how he creates this plan with the Slytherin group, how he manipulates Draco Malfoy into basically having to do his bidding is pretty scary, so yeah, Lord Voldemort not much more you could say, but Ralph Fiennes was the best character, or best guy for this role Number 9 you may not agree with me on this, but I don't care, Ra's al Ghul from Batman Begins, played by Liam Neeson 
Liam Neeson, this was his first role as a villain, I believe, because he always played good guys. And he did a great job here. He played the role of a guy that wanted to execute a plan that, in my opinion, of the Nolan Batman trilogy was the most evil. Because think about this. Joker was going to blow up two boats or one boat. That was his mega plan just to destroy the hope of God. Uh, Bane was just going to detonate an atom bomb that was just going to go off on all over Gotham. What Ra's al Ghul wanted to do, along with his buddy, the Scarecrow, was he wanted to gas up all the people, poison them, and have them kill each other off one by one, slowly. That, to me, is the most evil plan, because with Jokers, somebody blows up, they're probably not going to feel it. Same thing with Bane's atom bomb. It's scary to think, but yeah, you're not going to feel anything more more than likely. Whereas Ra's al Ghul's plan, they were going to feel it, and they were going to feel it long and slow. That's evil, in my opinion. Just pure evil. And last but not least, well, again, before you continue, Liam Neeson, I was going to say real quick, just to add to that. Uh, Liam Neeson loved playing Ra's al Ghul to the point when Arrow, season three of Arrow, they're going to bring in their version of Ra's al Ghul. Liam Neeson actually considered contacting them to see if he could play that part. Yeah. Even though um, the paycheck will probably be significantly less than what he got playing in the Nolan movies. But that's just how committed to that role he was. 100%. And he was great. Yeah. And he, and he, and he had that uh, cameo on the third one. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if he did that for free. And last but not least, not just you are going to probably disagree with me on this, but the audience is going to be disagreeing with me on this. But I don't give a fuck because this villain to me was just great. George Washington Duke from Rocky V, played by Richard Grant. This is supposed to be Rocky's version of Don King. Yes. This guy's an asshole. He's, he's a promoter. To, he's trying to get Rocky back into the ring to fight, even though he has to retire because he's got brain issues. He doesn't do it. He insults him in front of his wife and insults his wife. Had this guy, uh, Union Kane, as the world champion completely dropped him at the dime of the hat when Tommy Gunn beat him, and then manipulated Tommy Gunn to fight his former mentor, Rocky Balboa. But then they get into a street fight, and then after Tommy Gunn loses, he's like, oh, you destroyed the, the punk, did you? And then, of course, he has one of my favorite lines of any villain. Touch me and I'll suit you. Come on, punk. Touch me and I'll suit you. And of course, he knocks him out and goes, sue me for what? doesn't get enough credit man george washington duke was a fucking prick and the guy who played him just did this role so well he doesn't get enough credit I, I, in fact i wish i think you said to me that they were planning to bring him back as like a, a born again priest or some shit i would have loved to see him come back at least one more time but it hasn't yeah. happened i would love to see half of the rocky uh, villains come back one more time um because yeah, because I, you know, it sucks that Stallone hates that movie. It's it's not that bad. Yeah, it's not bad. It's, it's not like, on par with the first one. No, but it's not that bad, Stallone. He, he even got the chance to work with his son, Sage. Yeah, I mean, the only thing is you can't bring Tommy Gunn back because the guy who played Tommy Gunn died. Um, I but it's funny because with Rocky Six, the part you know where Mike Tyson showed up and him and uh, Mason Dixon kind of had that face to face. That was originally supposed to be for Mr. T. Yeah, Clubber Lang. 
Yeah, but uh, he couldn't do it, so they got Mike Tyson. Oh, well, well, that's a good replacement. I mean, you know, I, of course, what I love about those films, I mean, I mean, this is a different movie with Rocky. I love uh, Joe Spinell's character. You know, Rocky, listen, I tell you to break a guy's fingers, you got to break his fingers, because if you don't, it messes with my reputation. Oh, yeah. How do you spell Del Rio? Don't look up the dictionary, bro. <laughs> so long, meatbag. I love, I love the driver. He says, did you get the license plate? He says, mm. well, what? Well, the guy that did that to your face. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say? Do what I suggested. What's that? Take her to the zoo. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we should have put him on this list, but he wasn't really a villain. He was a side character. But... Yeah. <laughs> well, every yeah. time they're on screen, they made it count. Yeah. So, yeah, that's those are my top ten villains. You could agree, you could disagree. What's your top ten villains, ladies and gentlemen? Shoot, now I got now I got to come up with one. Yeah, I'll have to get back to you on that one. Fair enough. But uh, before we start a movie review, I do have a uh, streaming pick of the week. Uh, it's on Shutter or AMC Plus. It's the documentary series "In Search of Darkness," a revisit to '80s horror. Uh, I think the first documentary came out a couple years ago. It's about five hours long, and mm. they and they go over all the '80s horror, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Friday the Thirteenth, all 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 the big horror films of the '80s that basically made a cultural impact. And they interview actors, directors, you know, behind the scenes people. And in between, uh, like they go like they have 1980, they go over the films. And sometimes in between the segments, they talk about other things that were happening in the 80s. Like, of course, like the AIDS epidemic, uh, the rise of the VHS tapes in the VHS stores. And they talk about, you know, 80s culture at that time. Mm -hmm. It's very informational for those, you know, that want to explore 80s horror. that want to know what that time period was like. You have that documentary series. It's called In Search of Darkness. They interview uh, Angry Video Game Nerd. He's on there. Okay. Um, yeah, and they made three. So, And each one is like five hours. And the, the first one was so successful, they made another one. In Search of Darkness Part 2. And then they talk about more, I guess, kind of like the B-cult films. Like Maniac. And all the other movies. And now, and I think it just dropped maybe a couple weeks ago. Like within a month. They just put up Part 3. And then again, it's just more uh, 80s horror. And... They talked about this one film that Joe Spinell did in the mid 80s and then they kind of highlighted him for a bit and they were just talking about, you know, what a great actor he was. And they interviewed like an Italian actress that worked with him. She said, I just love working with Spinell. He was a gentleman. He was all this, this and that. And I don't know. It just made me I kind of YouTubed him a bit just to see, you know, what else he's done, who else he's worked with. He's done Godfather, Taxi Driver. I didn't know he was good friends with Spielberg. When Spielberg, because he was, they had, there's like a YouTube clip. He's sitting in the, in I guess in his living room, and he has two friends with him. One of them being Joe Spinell, and he was like, "Hi, I'm Steven Spielberg. I just made some movie called Jaws, and I'm just, you know, it's not getting any Academy recognition." And Spielberg was like maybe in his late 20s when he, when this clip was being recorded, and you know, you see he has a sense of humor. He's a little upset that his movie didn't get nominated, and Spinell's like, "You know, it's bullshit. He didn't get nominated." And Spinell's like wearing a Jaws shirt because he made a great movie. He's and. And, and this and that, and you know, the guys are all, they're all having fun. And I don't think Spinell lived long enough to see his friend finally win Best Picture, which I think Spielberg, what was Best Picture? I think he won for Schindler's List, and Spinell kind of 
Pat was passed away. I think he passed away in '89, and Schindler's List came out in '93. And like, it's kind of unfortunate that you know Spinell didn't live long enough to see Spielberg finally win that Best Picture. And Spinell is definitely an underrated actor. I wish people would see more of his work because he was a, a special talent. Every role he was in, he always made it count. He was always special. He always stood out. We just mentioned Rocky. So long, meat bag. <laughs> <laughs> We're like 90 minutes into this podcast. I think it's time for our movie discussion. Finally. So another hour. (laughs) Not a long movie. Only 90 minutes. Let's talk about Tales from the Hood. Tales from the Hood came out in 1995. It's rated R. It's uh, written written by the team of Rusty Conduff and Darren Scott. Darren Scott was also a producer of this film. Rusty Condoff was also a director, and he was an actor in uh, in the film. He was the teacher in the second story, and the film is executive produced by Spike Lee. Let's talk about Tales from the Hood. Okay, so this is 1995. Where was movies at this point? Let's see, what was popular at the time? Tales from the Crypt. What else was popular around this time period? Uh, I guess the rise of black cinema. Uh, in the early 90s, you had a hood film called Boys in the Hood. And it was a huge hit. It was kind of the breakthrough film, I think, for Lawrence Fishburne. And then I guess people kind of knew who he was after that. And then he did um, What's Love Got to Do With It? And now the, he now he's made. And yeah. now that's the career he has up until this day. So you had a lot of, of hood movies around the, in the early 90s, you know, heading to the mid-90s. And you started to see a lot of black cinema more so in Hollywood because of the sex of... The success of Boys in the Hood made Hollywood realize we need to make more of these kind of movies. That's where you had films like uh, Menace to Society, uh, South Central, uh, what's the one with Tupac, Juice, and even even the film Poetic Justice with him and uh, Janet Jackson. So you start yes. uh, Friday, Ice Cube. I was about to say Friday was the next one to come out. Yeah, so you had a lot of those films. So eventually those kind of movies, I guess we're going to cross path into horror. And that was kind of the idea of Rusty Conda, was that he wanted to tackle a lot of issues that happen in black culture. It happens in other cultures too. I mean, and it still happens today. It's still a very big thing. But he wanted to tackle all those issues in an anthology-style story. Now, of course, this film, it's, it's, it's very similar to actually the original Tales in the Crypt movie, if you think about it. It you really have- is. You have these three guys, and the wraparound story you find out later in the end is that they're all kind of like that movie. They're already dead. Yeah, so literally, it's not like the movies Tales from the Crypt, because Tales from the Crypt just has one story. Whereas this one has four, so it's more like Creepshow. Like Creepshow, as I mentioned, the original Tales from the Crypt movie. Yeah, so this movie in particular, yeah, and there's, there's a lot of comedy elements to it. But a lot of serious undertones. So, when you start off this movie, you start off with these three guys, Stack, Bulldog, and Bull. And they're <clears throat> going to this house. It looks like a funeral home. Because they want to buy these drugs so that they can sell them. From this one guy that apparently got like a big bundle of drugs. Yeah, the uh, I guess I guess he's kind of like the undertaker, you could say, of this funeral home. Mr. Sims. Played by the great Clarence Williams III, who just recently passed away a couple years ago. 
Yeah, so they're a little, well, one of them's creeped out. The other two's like, ah, stop being a bitch. And so they meet Mr. Sims and they get into the building and Mr. Sims, is, he's a little bit off. You can clearly tell that. And he lures them around the funeral home and shows them a dead body of a dude by the name of Clarence. And that's when he tries to tell them the first story of this whole entire movie. So the movie, the first story centers around uh, these three white cops and a black cop. Black cop is Clarence. They are arresting a guy by the name of Martin, who's a political activist who's trying to stop crooked police officers from dealing with drugs. And one of the cops is played by, uh, I forget the guy's name or pronounced, but he's the guy who played Fun Boy from the first Crow movie. Yes, uh, I think his name's Wings Hapser. No, it's Michael Massey. Massey. I know, Wings is the other guy, the one that got his head decapitated. Yeah, so... What we'll Michael Massey, who also recently, who passed away a couple years ago, it's sad because when he did The Crow, and when, you know, that unfortunate incident happened with Brandon Lee, he took a year off from acting because he it, cause he had to recover from that. Mentally, it fucked him up when that happened. Yeah. Um, it's crazy because, you know, I think of that incident and I think of everything, everything that's happening now with Alec Baldwin. And the same thing happened with Baldwin is that the same incident happened, but now he's being, he, like, he's being charged with manslaughter. Well, because the difference here between Michael and Alec Baldwin is that Michael was given a gun and the gun that he had 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 fake bullets in it and he was shooting at Brandon Lee, but one of them just happened to have a real bullet. So he did test it and saw that it was fine. In the case of Alec Baldwin, he was given a gun and irresponsibly just clicked the trigger and went off and didn't hit an actor while he was filming. It hit a camera person. So his is much more liable for manslaughter in his case. Now is he going to return? So wait, when they, hold on, before you continue. So they handed, so with Baldwin, they handed him a gun and he just started firing? No. He accidentally pulled the trigger. It was an accident. But he was already playing around with it irresponsibly. It wasn't like they were filming and he just happened to shoot it and then it just went off and hit the camera person. They weren't even filming. They just handed it to him and he irresponsibly pulled the trigger and that's what shot the poor cinematography girl. Oh, yeah. Damn. His is a lot more irresponsible. Yes. So he does, Michael does not deserve it because he was using the prop while they were acting and it just happened to have a bad bullet. So completely different scenarios. Yeah, you're right. I don't think I can understand where Michael's coming from, where he feels distraught, no matter what, and no yeah. matter the circumstances. But in Alec Baldwin's case, I feel less sympathy because when you're handed a gun, you've got to treat it, even if somebody tells you that it's good, even if it's quote unquote, somebody else's responsibility to make sure it's safe. The second you get handed a gun, you have to treat it like as if it's loaded until you know 100% fact that it isn't. And he didn't do that. So he deserves every single, punishment he gets because he was very irresponsible but getting back to our movie review 
Yeah, what I was going with that was that hey, now he's back, you know, doing movies again. And first thing, they, they hand him a gun. Yeah, hey, he plays as a cop. So the the story is, is that um, Officer Newton and Clarence are being brought to a situation where Strom and Crumfield are arresting Martin because Martin's been going after police officers who are involved in the drug business illegally. He says he's going to take every one of them down. Well, the two cops, Strom and um, uh, Rich, Strom Richmond and, and Crumfield, they start beating him up merciful, uh, mercilessly to where Clarence is like really put off by this. And he's like telling him to calm down. But then uh, Hauser holds him back and he's like, yo, just just go back. Just go back into your car. Go back to your car, rookie. Right. So he brings him back. And at first I thought Hauser was going to be like, He's not a bad person, but he's like he's playing by the system because he understands if he goes against the system, then there could be consequences. So anyways, they're driving off and Newt Hauser's like, yo, you can't get another fellow cop in trouble to Clarence. Meanwhile, Richmond and Crumfield, they go ahead and inject Martin with the drug or a drug heroin and slip some drugs in a trunk and put him in the trunk and drive it into an ocean, killing him. Yep. So, next thing we see is that we see Clarence a year later in his apartment, completely drunk, completely depressed. But he's getting this dream from Martin saying, You got to get revenge for me. So, he's waiting by a tombstone, and all three of the cops. Uh, Richmond, Hauser, and Crumfield, they start taunting him. So now we realize that Hauser is a dick. They're basically like taunting him. Ah, oh, you left the force, this, that, and the other. And he told him, he told basically all of them, yo, you got to come with me. Uh, Martin wants to, you, you got to visit Martin's grave. So they go and visit Martin's grave. And as an insult, I think it was Crumfield, or it was either Crumfield or Richmond. They decide to start pissing on it. They start pissing on the grave, and then the second person, which was uh, either Richmond or Crumfield, because Hauser was still on the side, they decide to start pissing, and then all of a sudden, a hand comes up and sucks the cop through the grave. Now we come to realize that Martin is a zombie, pretty much. So, he starts chasing them uh, in the police car. That He just starts appearing randomly out of nowhere. They try to outrun him, but he just... He just keeps coming back. Eventually, like you said, he sticks his hand through the car uh, roof and decides to rip the head off of one of the cops, leaving Hauser by himself. So Hauser is going through what looks to be like their version of Skid Row with all the homeless people saying, I killed him. I killed him. Looking at a drawing, like one of those street drawings. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Martin and he's like I killed him I killed him and then Martin as a zombie basically grabs him by the throat throws him to the wall and now he becomes and, and injects him with a drug he basically his skin melts and he's part of the building and now he's part of the artwork so next thing is we see Clarence and Martin meet and Martin says something along the effects of why didn't you do anything and the last thing we see is that Clarence is in a psychiatric ward in a straitjacket. 
Now, did they ever explain how Clarence died? Uh, no, they. I don't think they did. But um, you know, obviously Clarence was affected by the events of what those three cops did to Martin Morehouse. Um, as he said, you know, I, you know, I made a mistake for falling for your bullshit that you're going to take him to the hospital. And obviously he ended up turning to alcohol and depression. He ended up quitting the force and he just became almost like a shell of his former self. And he ended up taking the blame for killing the three cops. And I guess he just ended up spending whatever life he had left in that mental institution. Yeah, that's right. I did leave that detail out. He was ultimately blamed for the death of the cops in that mental hospital. So... So Yeah, so the big theme with this story is police brutality. Just a couple years before the release of this film, um, everyone is aware of uh, Rodney King. Rodney King, yeah. That's where the inspiration of this story comes from. So then we're back into the the funeral home. They're walking through, and then he opens up another casket, but you don't get to see the body. And the funeral parlor guy... Mr. Sims basically tells him, no, you want to hear this story. This one's an intriguing one. Next thing we see a boy, Walter, in his bed. And it seems like a monster is trying to break into his room. Well, that's all we see is a monster trying to get through his door. Next day at school, he's arriving and was the guy's name uh, Richard Garvey? Who's like the teacher, I guess? Yes, that's the uh, director, Rusty Condup, yes. Okay, so he introduces Walter to the class, and now Walter's got a couple of bullies who are picking on him and beating him up. So he takes him to the nurse's office and notices he's got a bruise on his eye, but it was not caused by the bully. So he was like, hmm, that's a little bit interesting. Next scene we see is uh, Walter at home. By the way, the nurse is played by uh, actress... Uh, I say Kia Crystal Kemeth. She's the she plays the mother on That's So Raven, okay. and she and she was on In Living Color. So, the boy keeps saying that the person that caused the bruise on his eye was a monster, and obviously they think that it's not a monster, whatever. So he's in his room once again, and then this monster is about to break through the door, and while he's in tears. And the hand looks pretty scary, and then he it comes in, like with all the the growling noises. So you think it's going to be a monster story. Well, the next day in class, he draws a picture of the monster along with his bully. And it was because a classmate of his said that if you draw a picture and then you burn it, you'll kill that person or put an end to that person. So Richard basically says to him, "Listen, I'll speak to you after recess, okay?" He leaves and accidentally knocking down the picture of the bully, to which the kid then crumples up the paper of that uh, picture of that bully. And then that bully somehow conveniently fell down the stairs, breaking all of his arms and his legs, which was quite odd. That is a very odd thing. Yeah, they teach like, damn, kid must have weak bones. <laughs> weak bones. So anyways, later that night, Richard decides that he's going to visit the house to which we are introduced to, I think it's Sissy, the mother. And he's like, can I come in for a second? And he wanted to express his concern for Walter's well-being because he's coming in with bruises and bite marks and all that stuff. And she's pissed because 
earlier in the story, Walter said, yeah, my mother doesn't believe me when it comes to this mo monster stuff. Yeah, and the teacher asks him, is it your father? He says, no, my father's dead. Yes. So that's why he's like, okay, well, who's doing this to you then? Yeah, so he's I thought confused. that was clever how they did that. And then, of course, anyway, you know, go ahead. So anyways, when we get to the, them sitting down, and he's just about to leave. Because Walter's now going into his room and now he's about to leave. But then Carl comes in. Is Carl the father or the stepfather? The stepfather. Okay. So anyways, the stepfather comes in and he's super angry. Like, why why didn't you answer the door when I asked you? When I called for you. And that's when... Um, they all sit down at the kitchen table, and then that's when Richard brings up, yo, you, your kid's got all these bruises and all that. And then that's when Carl just gets super angry and says, there's a little bit of a back and forth, but then Carl's like, show him to the door. Keep in mind, Carl's played by the great David Allen Greer. Yes, Carl, his response was, you know, I'll talk to him. And I'll talk like, to him. That's it? You're just gonna talk to him? And then he said so, it again, slower and a little more menacing. I will talk to him. Yeah. And, and, then that's, how, and that's how he ended the conversation and told, told his wife, you know, show him the door. And then he's left going into his car. And then that's when it's revealed that it wasn't a monster beating him up. It was Carl. Carl represents the monster. So at that point, Carl comes into the room, similar to the other previous times where he's opening the door, the same hand, except now he's got the snarling noises coming and he's beating the hell out of him. Richard is in the car, just like real upset. He comes in trying to save that poor boy. And then him and Carl get into a back and forth. They get into a fight until eventually, uh, Walter takes a photo of the monster and decides to fold the arm part, which then breaks his arm, uh, Carl's that is. Then he starts folding all the other parts, which breaks all of his other body parts. And then he smushes the whole entire paper into a crumpled up ball. And that's when Carl's now completely folded up. And then at some point they drop the paper down and Sissy just steps on it making him bleed and then that's when Richard's like nah nobody's gonna know about this because the first thing they were concerned with was what if somebody figures this out that's when Richard's like nobody's gonna figure this out and turns on the oven and they throw the paper in there and that's the end of that story because then we're cinched, we're shown the casket inside with the rotted remains of Carl Weird. I read up that in the TV version, in the casket, they had the little boy Walter in there. I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, what's so violent about a burnt up Chris Carl? To me, it's more violent if you have the dead child. Yeah, I'm like, I had the child die. Yeah, that's just that sounds more violent to me. Yeah. Um. So the theme here with this story is well, child abuse. Or, or you can even say family abuse because the wife, I mean, I would assume she gets slapped around too. She does. It, it was shown here. She got punched. Yeah. So, Fine. so yeah, the big theme here is is uh, family abuse. I liked how when the teacher asked him, he said, your father, no, because now as a viewer, you're like, all right, maybe there is a monster. 
But this this story is quite ironic because in the first story we did have an actual monster, which was the zombie of Martin Morehouse. Yeah. Here it's not a monster; it's the stepfather. The monster it's is a, the stepfather. It's a figurative it, of speech type of deal. Yeah. Yep. Um, what do you think of David Allen Greer? This is very different from what he usually does. It was a very small role, but he did it effectively for sure. Um, we're then brought back to the funeral parlor where they're still walking around the house. And obviously the two dudes are getting, well, all three of them are getting impatient. They want their drugs. And one of them accidentally knocks down a doll. And then that's when Sims goes into his next story. We're introducing the character Duke Metger, who's running a campaign for, what is it, president or governor or mayor? I think it was governor, yeah. So, but the problem is, is that he has a reputation. He was a former Ku Klux Klan member. And now, not only is he a former Ku Klux Klan member, he's living in a house that belonged to uh, an individual who was going to free slaves. Yeah, so it was owned by an ex-slave owner. Um, the slave owner ended up snapping once they lost the war. And I think they said the house was later bought by a voodoo woman. Yeah. Who may have been also an ex-slave. And then she took all the souls of the ex-slaves that this slave owner killed and put them in the little dolls. We put them in tiny little dolls. And he got a lot of criticism for it but he said i looked through this house there's no dolls this that and the other there's this one crazy guy um was it eli mm-hmm. who keeps saying that the that that house is going to kill you because you're you're playing with fire this that and the other there's a lot of racial epithet here it's like all the yes. words that they use yes. there's one part where him and his partner he's a campaign manager helping him out trying to get him to promote himself for this upcoming election so he says hold the camera let me let me show you what you need to say and as he's practicing he trips over a doll falls down the stairs cracking his head killing him which is quite weird no not well it's weird i guess it was i thought it was a little funny if you kind of see the doll's leg out but yeah those are hardwood stairs i mean Sometimes when you fall down the stairs, you're, you're able to try to catch yourself on the rails. But in this case, he didn't. He didn't, yeah. And those, that's a hard, you know, hard, as I mentioned, hardwood stairs. And he fell all the way from the top. Yeah, like that can kill you. Anyways, he, as he's leaving the funeral, he gets into his limo and sees a doll in there. And it's like, who the hell else was in here? And they said, nobody. He throws a doll out gets back into his uh his place and notices in the painting that the doll that's because in the in the house there was a painting with the woman with all of her dolls and she has yeah, one doll that, yeah. on her lap so that doll just happens to be missing from the painting it's like white it's almost like white. it faded out yeah so all of a sudden this doll is just this creepy ass doll is appearing in random ass places and eventually he starts to get into a fight with this doll because there's one part where he's in a room with this doll and the doll is swinging from one of the uh, fans and starts biting him in the neck. In my opinion, this was probably the creepiest doll I've ever seen, personally. I felt it was creepy because of how tiny it is and the movement it was making, and the faces it was making, it was quite, quite eerie. 
So he finally rips the doll off his neck and just starts beating it. And eventually he ties it up to a dartboard and starts blasting it away, like completely severing it. But then the next thing is he walks back into that room with the painting and now more of the dolls are gone, completely white. And there's a point where he takes the American flag and starts hitting the the painting, but he hits the woman in the face, the woman in the painting, and it starts bleeding from the mouth, which is quite creepy. Eventually, he starts losing it, and all the dolls from the painting are missing. And he turns around, and all the dolls just happen to be in the room, and they're looking at him, and he's just freaking the fuck out. And eventually, all the dolls go right after him, start attacking him and biting him, and the woman from the painting disappears and enters right into that room, rocking in her chair. That's pretty much that story. So, what is the moral here? I guess the KKK? Uh, I think the theme here is um, uh, racism in politics. Racism in politics, okay, fair enough. Yeah, uh, Corbin Burnson, who plays Duke Medker. I know there is the name inspiration they got from, because I know, I think there is a leader in the KKK named Duke. I think, uh, I think he's um, still there today. Yeah. What's his fucking name? Um, was it David Duke, I, th- I want to say? David Duke, yes. That's the guy that uh, Trump thinks that should have gotten a bullet to the head or some shit. Yeah. But yeah, the, the, and I think the Met, Met, I think Metzger is based off another guy, but his last name was Metzger with a Z between a T and a G. They just got rid of the Z. Played by so, Corbett Bernson. He was in uh, Major League, that baseball movie with Charlie Sheen. Yeah. And I know he's on that TV show Psych, and he was great here. He was he was fucking mean. Oh, he was mean and he was racist. And he was super racist. And it's crazy how you know when you have that much money, you can still get black people to work for you. His campaign manager was a black guy. His limo driver was a black guy. You can see and when he tried to curse at his limo driver, the limo driver just had like this look on his face, like I don't want to talk to you. I'm just gonna drive you from A to B and leave me alone. And the crazy thing is, is that I agree that reparations is like, that's a no-win situation, but he was just being totally racist here. That's the deal. Yeah, so he, then was, he was a jerk. Back to the funeral home, they now go to the casket of Crazy K, somebody they, they knew, weirdly enough. And then that's when they get to the final story of Crazy K, who was out on the run to go after this one dude that they that he didn't like or owed him money and shot him dead except that his friends the dude that he shot all came to his aid and shot him except that they didn't kill him they were about to kill him they start talking shit and you notice that the voices are morphed kind of like there's a voice changer but you're not so morphed and like their faces are somewhat blurred you can't get a clear look at their faces yeah, it, there's there's a specific reason to that, which we will get to. Eventually, he, I guess the cops show up and then they start killing all three of them. And the dude just like passes out and ends up in jail. Yep, a couple years go by and then we get introduced to uh, Rosalind Cash's character named Dr. Cushing. Cushing, yeah. Cushing, and she offers Crazy K a second chance at society. But he's got to go through this program. Yeah. And this program, like, literally is a spitting image of Clockwork Orange. So. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it looks like where they're at. It almost looks like it's in, like, Dr. Frankenstein's castle. Somewhere yeah. up high in the mountain. 
first thing they do is they lock him in a box next to a neo-Nazi. The neo-Nazi taunts him and wants to be his friend so that they can, like, do some crazy shit. He doesn't like it. He punches him in the face. He gets pulled out. The second thing they do is that they tie him up into, like, a weird bed. Like, like a chamber bed. Yeah, they put something up his nose and put, like, a rock ball. It's like a gimp slave ball into his mouth and make him watch a bunch of racial stuff, like black men being hung with white people, like, smiling and all that stuff. Basically sending the message of, you don't like it seeing black people getting killed, so why are you doing it? Why are you killing black people? Yeah, it's, it's a mixture of seeing whites hang black people and you're getting clips of crazy case people murdering other black gang members. Yeah. Basically saying that what white people are doing to your people is no different than what you're doing to your own people. Yeah. So, anyways, he gets out of that and then the the final test was he was brought into this room flashing in weird lights showing all of his victims that he had killed over the years. First being just regular uh, gang members, then uh, other people, then a child and all that stuff. They're all talking to him and he just starts losing his mind. And he eventually grabs the assistant and says, I'm going to kill this person, blah, blah, blah. He's not falling into or not improving at all. He's just like, fuck all this shit. Eventually, everybody disappears. And we end up right back into the beginning scene where he's just laying there. Which was like, huh? I, I, I know that through did throw some people off. I think that was just, it was all in his head. So this is like devil's advocate. In a way, yes. Yes, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah. All right, so, yeah, then eventually he gets shot by the three people. And that's what kills Crazy Kick. Back to the funeral home, Sims is now being threatened by these three guys because they're like, oh, now you know who Crazy K is. We're the ones that killed him. So those three people that shot Crazy K was the three guys in this place, Bulldog, Ball, and Stack. So now they're telling Sims, yo, you're going to give us your drugs and we're going to kill you. So they walk into the next room and then he says, yeah, your stuff's in the three caskets. So they open up the caskets and see their own dead bodies in the caskets. Freaking out. They don't know what the hell is going on. And Sims basically says, don't you know? You guys got killed right after you killed Crazy K. Because if you remember, the cops shot at those three guys. So they were all, yeah, they were dead. And Sims revealed that you're not at a funeral home getting drugs. You're in hell and I'm the devil. And then eventually his appearance turns into a devil. They're freaking out. And that's pretty much the end of the film. I'm, I've seen this film several times growing up, so this was like that's I've seen it some hundreds, so nothing here new that I didn't notice the first time. I'm you might be shocked when I say this. This has been one of the most enjoyable films we've done so far. You know how I, I give you shit for fucking what was that movie? Barbarian? <laughs> this movie was fucking great. I loved it. I was not bored at all. I thought all four stories were very well told. I thought the main turnaround story was very well done. I felt like VHS could take huge lessons from Tales from the Hood. This was fucking fun. It was one of the most fun films I've watched. Um, I think it's one of the most important films for... Um, I think it's one of the most important horror films of the 90s. I think this is the 90s version, I guess you could say, of Get Out. Because... 
horror films i think work best when they have social commentary to them so, i mean in today's hollywood i think they have but there's a lot of messaging for all the wrong reasons because of woke and all this nonsense a lot of stuff that isn't real everything you saw in tales in the hood all the social issues that you saw in this film are real a lot of this is still very it's just as relevant as it was then as it is now it's just that now it's more in the forefront because of cell phones and social media and cameras and there's all you see a lot more uh, people gotta know this has always been a problem for black culture we, and we never seen it tackled at this point like the way tales in the hood had tackled it they tackled all these is issues but at the same time they remembered we're still a horror movie so when you see police brutality let's add a horror spin to it how about you know this ronnie king type situation what if this guy comes back to life and gets revenge on those cops you well, know chop go play. go ahead here's the important thing they did not make white people the most evil people on the face of the earth and they especially saw that with the last story yes yeah they didn't try and drill it into your head that whoa white privilege or this that and the other they didn't try and drill that at all that's what helped. I may have not agreed with every single commentary that was put out there, but the fact that they had their commentary and they put it out in an entertaining form and didn't tell me, the viewer, the straight white male, that I'm a piece of shit for existing in the first place, it made me enjoy this film. And it's so fun. It's, it's a very fun film. There's a lot of stuff. There's social commentary, there's horror, and there's comedy all in one. Yeah, and it's four stories. None of them are boring in the slightest. They're all interesting. Not technically five, if you want to include the main story. Yeah, the wraparound story was great too. I love that ending. Yeah, and it was a swerve, and it was a good swerve. I thought it was a very well done swerve. And in the end, I ended up enjoying the whole hour and a half that was spent watching this film. It's very fun very fun film indeed i i love this would i put it in my top five top 10 horror films i'd have to sit down and think about that for a bit really but i was not bored at all i had so much fun um and you know with the last story i forgot to mention the theme the theme with the last story some people you could say gang violence yeah you could say that i would also say black on black crime yeah yeah a major that is a major problem in fact a lot of uh elderly black people that I have spoken to have said that they feel that's the biggest problem within the black or African-American community is just we're shooting each other when we should be helping each other. So it, it's, it tackled every issue without saying that it's always white people that are the problem. I think that's what helped. I, I think they've touched up on, yeah, politicians are racist. There are cops that are racist and there are former clan members. But however, we are also not doing ourselves any yeah. favors. Exactly, we have flaws too. We meant, you know, we mentioned obviously with the last story and even with the second story, a, a, a black family, his stepfather is being abusive to his son. And this is, and with that story, I mean, a lot of people can relate to that, not just black culture, but other cultures. Other yeah. normal families can relate to having a stepfather or a stepmother being abusive. You know, they're stuck in a, an abusive relationship. 
and they're scared to tell anybody or do something about it because of what this person is going to do if they find out. I think the only problem they didn't get to tackle technically was uh, people that lack a father figure in their home because they say that uh, within African-American homes, the single fatherless homes jumped from 20% to like 70% within the last 30 to 40 years, ever since uh, the, the, the 60s or the 70s. I yeah, think- I, you know, and that hurts, in my opinion, I think that hurts a lot of black boys more because they need a fa- they need a man, they need a father figure. A to show them what's right. Yeah, they need a Roma. They need someone to show them what's right from wrong because it's a lot harder for them. And if they don't have that, and you know, it's it's very hard for them to grow up without a father figure. You could say technically that falls into the second category or the second story that they tell, but still, I think that would have helped. But either way, this movie told a lot of great stories. Some of them cheesy. There was a lot of cheese factor into this, but goddamn, this was... I mean, that, that, that ending, the devil reveal was pretty cheesy, but fuck, it's so much fun. It's good cheese. Yeah. I love this film. It, it, I, I would easily say I love this film. This is easily a two thumbs up. Yeah. I've, I've always loved this movie for years. I've said this film is extremely underrated. It's one of the best slept on horror films of the 90s. Um, and the fact that the Rusty Condo made it in anthology format, because, I mean, we mentioned it's a tribute to 70s Tales in the Crypt. But it's like, you know, what if we did, th- did it that same way? Same swerve that the, the people involved are dead. But what if the guy that's telling these stories are the devil? And what if these, you know, these stories are, have, each of them have a special theme to them because the director has said his father is, was an activist. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, and, and he grew up with that. And that was, that was a big thing with him when, when he came to making this movie. Yeah. And uh, I think this film is a home run. Uh, not a home run, a grand slam. It's I a fucking grand slam. A Grand it's, Slam in the World Series. If you think about it, technically yes, because a Grand Slam is all men on base with the guy at bat hitting a home run, and you had four great stories. Technically five, but yeah, it's a Grand Slam. This was a really great horror film. I would definitely recommend this to a lot of people that watch horror films who want to watch predominantly an African-American cast. If you're looking for a movie predominantly with African-American cast, this is the one for you. And even one with a message, a message that's that's very true, a message that is still very relevant today, a message that that's not in your face, that doesn't hit you over the in the head with a hammer, but it's there. Yeah, it's I love this. Uh, This was definitely a good film. This is going to definitely go on my recommendation list. And as the tagline says, nightmares and realities meet on the streets. Yeah definitely enjoyable enjoyable film one of the better anthology horror films um honestly i think this is the best as it gets when it comes to uh black uh, horror i mean yeah. um and i think the same year uh, the tales of the crypt demon knight came out and as we mentioned and the final girl in that movie was an african-american woman yeah so tooth should i even talk about the sequels there are sequels this got two sequels Oh, they're very new. I just saw that. Written and directed by the same guy. Same people. Mm-hmm. All, uh, Spike Lee produced it. Uh, different cast. All of the charm 
And another thing I forgot to mention, uh, what also made me love this movie is the soundtrack. Yeah, the, the music was really good. The music was great. Um, the imagery in the uh, fourth story with the KKK stuff uh, and the racism mixed. I mean, that's scary in itself. Like, there <laughs> is no monster in that story. That is the horror. The horror is racism. Yeah. And it's scary what, you know, what extreme measures, you know, you know, what they did at that time. And they st- and they still do today. Yeah, that's that's the scarce that's the scary stuff. But yeah, they made two sequels. They both suck. They're <laughs> nowhere. They're nowhere like this film. This this to me, this was lightning in a bottle. Yeah, this was definitely a very enjoyable film. Definitely go watch this. Hundred uh, percent. Rusty, there was no way he was going to capture the same magic again, let alone twice. But the, his two sequels, I, I saw it. I was disappointed uh, just by the the way it started, just by the tone of like, ah, uh, the cheesiness was there, but it was too cheesy. It, it was and too cheesy a, to the point it was overshadowing whatever message he was trying to tell, and not in a good way, and not not in a good way at all. And you know, with half the budget, yeah. So and and you know, and the acting's not that good either. So. Uh, yeah, um, any any final thoughts on Tales in the Hood? Just a wonderful movie. I just wasn't bored at all. I didn't look at my phone to see what time it was or look at the time for the movie to, to hurry up. It was just... There's nothing really flawed about this movie. Just that if you're not into cheese, you may not like it, but it's definitely something you should definitely give a chance. Uh, granted, some of the blood effects are a little bit over the top but trust me it's a very enjoyable movie absolutely without a doubt so um, as I mentioned I think this is a very important film in uh, when it comes to social commentary when it comes to black horror and honestly when it comes to horror movies you know I put this right up there with Get Out once mm-hmm. you get out and you, you, you know if we ever get a chance to review that you we could do a compare which one was better with their messaging because Get Out had a lot of had a lot of the same messaging there too. It was just right. more updated. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, Tales in the Hood, without a doubt, check it out. It's not this film isn't available a lot on streaming platforms. It kind of is there for like a month and it just goes away, and then you just kind of sit there wait patiently when the hell is just going to drop. I recommend just getting the uh, Shop Factory. They did a Blu-ray. It's on there. They even have a little documentary of behind the scenes stuff uh, with the film. Uh, right now, it's currently on Tubi for anyone that wants to get it. Uh, uh, it's on uh, Vimeo. Someone actually uploaded the whole movie on there. It was pretty crazy. Mm. Which is, uh, that's that's uh, where I saw it. I also have it on DVD. Physical copies are always the best. Gotcha. From Monoxide, I'm Terminator Travis. This isn't, this ain't no funeral home. This isn't the Terra Dome neither. Welcome to hell.